of prayer this morning. Dear Jesus, we believe you're God's one and only Son, and we believe that you are our one and only hope. We believe it's true. We've based our life upon that. We live every day in faith, believing that you're who you say you are and that you can do what you say you can do. Holy Spirit, help us prepare our hearts. In your precious name we pray, and everybody said, it's so good to be at Clover Hill. I look forward to it like a kid at Christmas. We had a good time last night. I'm telling you, I used to read some of my heroes growing up. I had weird heroes. I was a preacher's kid, so I mean, you know, I'm not weird, but just different kinds of heroes. But I used to read about those Methodist circuit-riding preachers. You know, they only lived in the early 30s because they traveled on mule. I'm going to tell you what. I don't want to be no Methodist circuit riding preacher. Pastor Stan does that every Sunday on steroids. It's so phenomenal, the growth that's happening here. I'm so excited to be here. I wanted to talk to you just a minute about uh, the, the Royal Family Kids Camp. I, uh, I, I, I just want to make sure that you understand a couple things, and I know you do, but maybe just to see it from a little different perspective, and that is I think sometimes if we're not careful, we don't realize and focus on the fact that there is a distinct difference between charitable things and kingdom of God things. Matter of fact, I think a lot of time church people scratch their itch from not doing kingdom things by doing family-oriented charitable things. Now, I'm not against charity. I am a charitable guy. I could prove in any court of law within 30 seconds that I am charitable. I donate time to charities all the time. Matter of fact, if you got a good one, call me. I'll prove it to you. I'll come help you. I believe in charity. I love in charity. But let me tell you this. There is a difference between doing something charitable and doing something that is mandated lined out in the scripture and spirit-led and a kingdom of God thing. And I think sometimes when we hear terms like foster children, we, we put that in a box because it sounds like social work or government or something. But let me just tell you what it is. It's a mandate from God. And this church has a unique opportunity to do something outstanding and tremendous that is not only charitable, but is a kingdom of God thing. So I would encourage you to do whatever. Give, volunteer, whatever necessary to make that happen. Now, me and Pastor Stan talked about this. And I love to come up with clever, witty stuff. I was like, what can I say clever and witty about this camp? But you know what? I decided I ain't going to be clever and witty. I'm just going to come straight at you. This, this man right here, Angie, Stan, they've been your pastors for 20 years. You've seen how this has gripped their heart. You see their commitment level. And, and God has put this on their heart for this church at this time to put on this camp. We know what it costs. The truth is, if we all will be spirit-led, we could end that today. That could be over today. It could be paid for. I'm just asking you to not come in with a preconceived idea, but to let the Holy Spirit lead you on what He has for you to do. Whether it be to give, to volunteer, and, and, and let's get this thing done, if for no other reason, because our shepherd, our pastor, and our leader believes that this is what God wants us to do, 
So let's do it. How about that? That's not clever. That's not witty. That's marketing. I mean, that's not marketing. That's just me telling you I think we ought to do it because he's our pastor, and, and, and it's a great thing, and it's a kingdom thing. So let's move on. And I thought I, 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 I was in a little bit of a fix when I got here this morning. You know, I thought about it last week. I've been here and spoke more than 12 times at other things, but I've preached here 12 times in 10 years, and I'm an evangelist. And the problem with that is I ain't got but 11 sermons. <laughs> now, y'all, a lot of times we get attaboys that go, man, that's a good, you don't realize we preach that thing a bunch. We've whittled on it, man. It grows, you know what? We shine it up and we give it a soda water finish, man. I mean, it's, it's been rehearsed. That's, that's really kind of exaggerated. I, I got a lot more than 11 sermons, but I, I really, I, I was talking to Pastor Stan, and I'm so excited what's going to happen in the next few weeks, and I just wanted to kind of be a bridge to what's going to happen the, the next few weeks as we go into Easter, and I thought I would just share my story. Now, I've shared parts of this story maybe at a wild game supper or something, but I've never just shared my story, and it ties in good with what God has lined for, up for us in the next few weeks, even concerning this camp. See, I, I, I was a, uh, a kid who got invited to church by my next-door neighbors. My next-door neighbors uh, began to take me to church when I was about five years old. And my mama was raised right. She is from Clayton, Alabama. Her daddy, before he passed away, and young her, when she was really young, led singing at the First Baptist Church, Clayton, Alabama. And it wasn't really a spiritual thing, but just out of good old South Alabama, been raised right pride, she was embarrassed that people were taking her kid to church. So she began to come. My mama got saved, filled with the Spirit, fell in love with Jesus. And on Father's Day, 1971, I was in my leisure suit. How many of y'all remember leisure suits? <laughs> Pastor Stan, are you too young? You never had a leisure suit, did you? Uh... How many of y'all remember, you weren't way too young. You ain't, you about four years younger than me. How many of y'all remember leisure suits? Come on, y'all. Y'all know fashion comes back every 15 or 20 years. Can we form a committee today and let's, let's don't let that one come back, all right? Come on, y'all. We, them leisure suits, that was rough now. That old silky, flowery, button fly shirt. Come on, man. I am a new little leisure suit, man, and. It's Father's Day, and I went in on Saturday night because the church was having a father-son Father's Day breakfast, and I asked my daddy to go. My daddy was thriving in a new business venture. His business was doing great. He was a great guy, great outdoorsman, but not a good daddy. Not, not a, necessarily a bad daddy, but not doing really good, and, and really on his way to become an alcoholic and quickly headed to a divorce. And I went in that night, and I don't remember a lot of this. I was five years old. I've just heard this my whole life. I asked my dad to go to the father-son breakfast with me, and he said he couldn't. He already had been playing. I think it was go fishing or something. And so that next morning, I just decided. My mom said, you can just go with, with Rob Bearfield, who's another friend of ours from school, and, and his daddy. That, they were my neighbors. They had been taking me to church. And when I went out there, I don't know what happened, but my dad showed up, suit on, ready for church, and on Father's Day, 1971, my dad accepted Christ, became invested in the church, 
Matter of fact, you can give the Lord a hand. Hey, we like attaboys. We like hands, don't we? But you got to do better than that. Let's do a little better than that. There you go. There you go. I like attaboys. You know, my dad pastored Assembly of God churches for 40 years. You know, he built 16 churches overseas from beginning to completion. I ain't, I'm not going to start bragging on daddy and mama because that, that, we'd have to book a two-week revival to do that. But I'll just tell you that uh, our life changed. My dad got invested in the church. His first ministry is became the, the commander, then the senior commander, the Royal Ranger ministry. And, and I can remember when he'd just be around those campfires telling those stories. I thought, what a great storyteller he was. And, and in the third grade, my dad comes in and says, I just sold all my businesses a bass boat and we're going to go and we're going to uh, pioneer a church well, I didn't know what that meant I wasn't familiar with the term pioneer I thought like little house on the prairie like we're going to get a covered wagon and some mules I mean are we going to go out in the prairie oh, what are you talking about we're going to start a church where there is no church and we literally moved to a city that the population in the city limits was smaller than the attendance of the Sunday morning church my dad had been on staff at for three years. It was major, major culture. Matter of fact, it's kind of where I learned to begin to develop stories. Matter of fact, I'll just mention this. I ain't going to push it much, but I, I got a brand new CD out there called Road Dogs. I made it with another comedian. We mic'd up a rented minivan, drove for eight hours, and just told road stories. It's out there. It's different than anything I got. It's funny. If you want one, go get it after church. That'll help keep you going. But I, I developed this storytelling. I, I realized I was funny, and I had been using it for good up to that point. But when we moved to that little town, I kind of panicked. You know, I, I made a decision. It was really more important to me what people thought of me than, than what, you know, the Lord wanted me to do. And I just became a selfish, critical, spiritual iceberg. And I got in a lot of trouble fast. And I ain't going to tarry here long. Really no need to do that. I'll just tell you this. I got a great buddy with me here that graduated high school with me from that little town in Lincoln, Georgia, Dave Ashmore. I think it was June the 6th, 1984. We, we walked the line, graduated, went over and threw them caps in the air. And the next morning, I was standing in front of a circuit judge. And he was going to help me decide where I was going for the next 12 months. He mentioned the Army. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, no judge can't make you join the Army. Well, a rural circuit judge in the Deep South in 1984 could make you stand on your head on I-20 if he wanted to. They was powerful people. And I didn't want to join the Army. That's no disrespect. If you are military, I have a genuine, sincere, authentic appreciation for you. And I know a lot of times we that aren't involved in the military, we don't communicate that to you well. We kind of say the wrong things. I just want you to know it's, it's sincere but I was 12 hours out of high school in 1984. I didn't want to join the Army. He said, you can go to Alto, which was a work camp. It was a chain gang. I said, bad as I don't want to go to the Army, I sure don't want to go to jail. He said, oh, we'd, you can go to a college, which your parents agree with. You go for 12 months, you don't get in any trouble. You come back here, I'll wipe your slate clean, give you a new, new start. I said, I'll, I'll take door number three. The only place I really knew to go was Southeastern. I had a bunch of, of preachers, kids, friends there. You know, my dad went there when I was in the third grade. I still knew people. Well, man, we, we actually went to the same college not that far apart. 
in, in years. Had a little different experience. You know, Daddy went through in two and a half years, 4.0 GPA. I went through in five years, 2.0 GPA. Daddy graduated magna cum laude. I graduated thank the laude, you know what I'm saying? Magna cum barely. When my dad was at college, though, I had attended this, uh, uh, this, this, this camp. See, dad was in this class called Children's Ministries, and there was this, this professor that taught. And the reason that a lot of people love this class is because it didn't have any tests. Now, I don't know if you have any students here, if we have any academians, but I'm for a class with no tests. That's my kind of class. At the end of the, the semester, what you did is you prepared and one of the things you did at the end of the semester is you did a weekend kids camp. And how you performed your and executed your position at the camp was your final test. And my dad was the bookkeeper for the camp. So really most of his job was before, but he just said, why don't you just go attend the camp? And I did. And at 12 years old, I had the greatest spiritual moment of my life. And I'm 51. I'm 51. Still believe in camp because at 12 years old, I had the greatest camp experience of my life. Now, I get to do cool things. I was on a radio interview the other day. We were raising money for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes over in North Mississippi. And this guy, was he was just asking me all kinds of questions. He said, what's the biggest crowd you ever spoke to at one time? And I was saying, I said, one time I did a gig with a bunch of folks, some of them Duck Dynasty jokers. We was in a coliseum. There's 50,000 people. He said, were you nervous? I said, no. He said, you weren't nervous with 50,000 people? I said, no. When I get nervous... Because I'm in a fellowship hall with 37 people. And if you don't sell six CDs, you ain't going to get gas money to get home. That's when you have a pressure to be funny. <laughs> but I'm telling you, even though I'm 51, I get to do some cool things, preaching great churches like this. The greatest spiritual moment of my life to this point happened as a 12-year-old kid. That last night at that kid's camp, when the Holy Spirit fell in a little block chapel on the Alify River, Camp Alify. And we stayed in the spirit moving in that, in that little chapel all night. All night. I don't mean till 2 in the morning. I don't mean till 4 in the morning. I mean all night. And God called me to preach. 12 years old. Well, you know, we, we, we moved to this, this little town. And, 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 and even though God called me to preach at the ripe old age of 12, I'm, I'm in this trouble. But I go to Southeastern. This is before Stan and Angie got down there. I'm, I'm a little older than them. And that first year, I got in some trouble, but no, I mean, I, I didn't do everything right, but I didn't get caught. So it's the end of the year, and I got no, nobody's got any evidence on me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking I'm just a few days away, just about a month away from getting, going back to see Judge Stevens and getting this thing cleared. And it was the end of the semester, and we had this little mail room, and they had this wall called the Wailing Wall, because that's where they posted grades. And I'm in there looking, they're trying to look at a grade. You used to have to try to find your number, man. You know, I'm in there looking, and I feel this old man staring at me, just staring at me. I mean, obviously just staring. Made me a little un un uneasy. I, I was polite and courteous, and I finally looked at him. I said, buddy, can I, can I help you, sir? He said, what's your name? I said, Lee McBride. The minute I said my name, a tear ran down that old man's face. I thought, what have I done? He said, I was there. I said, you was, you was where? He said, I was at Camp Alify. 
at night. You was 12 years old. God called you to preach. He was the professor of the children's ministries class. He said, and here you are, following your call. And I didn't have the heart to tell that old man I was not following no call. <laughs> I was trying to stay out of jail. What happened next at a camp changed my life forever. Forever. I'll never forget it. He said, well, here's the deal. He said, we got to camp this weekend, and we need somebody to do athletics. And I said, I'm not in your class. He said, don't matter. We need somebody to do sports. Now, this is 1985, so ESPN existed, but not like today. If I'm telling you the tournament that system of athletics that I designed for that kids' camp would make bracketology look weak. I mean, it was impressive. I had this series of events and tournaments that was going to culminate into these championships. It was impressive. And I had the right attire. You know, I had some old Stan Smith, Adidas tennis shoe, and I had some of you guys will go back with me, some of them double-knit polyester bike coaches shorts. Y'all, what were we thinking? Why would you choose double-knit polyester as the fabric to perform athletic events? How hot were those shorts? I think they gathered them all up all across the world and made incubators overseas or something. They were the most unathletic, but I had my, my little whistle. And I'll never forget the buses start pulling up. I'm ready for camp, man. I'm ready to show people I got my act together. That old man come over and put his arm around me. I'll never forget it. He said, we got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, we got too many boys. I said, ooh, that is a problem. He said, man, you're going to have to take some boys. He said, matter of fact, we want you to take them five boys right over there. And I looked over on the wall, and I don't stereotype kids. That's, that's wrong, you know, but I'm just telling you, four of them boys were thugs. And it really didn't have anything to do with how they looked or, you know, what, what it, or their appearance. It had to do with the, the, the personality. It had to do with the air they were putting off. I don't, I can't remember all the details, but it seemed like they were thumping out Marlboro Red cigarettes, you know. One of them had a Marine Corps tattoo. They're 12 years old. I was 19, they was 12. I was scared to death of them. And then there's this other kid. Oh, my gosh. He looked like the white Urkel. Had his shorts pulled way up over his belly button. You know, had them glasses. Glasses are cool now, ain't they? Ain't glasses cool? Do y'all know, I, I know y'all ain't going to believe this, some of you. Ladies will, will know this, you, you, you fashion gurus. People wear glasses now, don't even need glasses. Glasses are a fashion statement. Let me tell you something, Chief. Glasses wasn't no fashion statement in the early 80s. They hadn't really perfected them yet. They were thick. Y'all remember them glasses? I looked at that little boy. His glasses were so thick, I think he could see the future through them glasses. I think he was seeing life two weeks ahead of us. He was ahead of us. And it wasn't a spiritual thought come over me. The thought come over me, man, if I don't help them boys right there, they'll kill Urkel. They're going to kill him. His name was Michael Bauck. Never forget him. Never forget him. Well, the first athletic event had to be started and completely completed before supper so we get it going it's this series it's a tournament bracket of war ball now you've all played war ball some form or fashion them old red kick balls them old basketballs i'd throw a 
a golf ball out there. Just I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. But where you just try to kill each other, basically, in the name of Jesus, you know, for the glory of God. We're in this little cracker box gym. These kids are trying to kill each other. We got both ends going. So it comes to the championship. I look on one side. I got these little, you, you see these little 12-year-old boys. They're a little ahead of the other 12-year-olds, you know, physically. They got them little all-star baseball hats. You know, these little studs, these little athletes. Some of y'all got them. Y'all play that travel ball. Them, them boys at 12 years old better than I was when I was 20. They just studs. I got these little athletes over here, and I look over here. It's the four thugs and Bowick. I said, how in the wide world of sports did my boys make it to the championship? They said, one of them thugs told everybody in the camp if he got hit with a ball, he was going to whoop everybody's butt, and nobody won't throw the ball at him. So I start the championship. I mean, it got ugly quick. Two minutes, all the thugs gone. Everybody's getting beamed. Ain't nobody left but Bowick. I started to call it off until I realized Bowick had a unique defense mechanism. He was so skinny that when he turned sideways, he went invisible. He went away. He went away. You couldn't see him. He was like a vapor. Like trying to hit a pencil with throwing a BB. I mean, you couldn't hit him. I seen the most athletic. Oh, it hit somebody late, didn't it? Ma'am, did you draw her a picture or something? I mean, it got there a little late. Uh, oh. Oh, that tickled me. <laughs> so I started to call it off well, I, Old Bowick made the most athletic maneuver I've ever seen a non-athlete make Some boy runs up and throws a ball 100 miles an hour It's just two kids left Bowick's kid. It's shoo. Now you know if you catch a ball Somebody throws at you, they out Now to say he caught the ball A little exaggeration But I'll tell you what he did do He wrapped his little skinny arms and legs Around that ball And rode it till it stopped Shoo. Bow it one more ball. Man, I never seen one event change a kid's life so drastically and so quick. He came into supper, man. He got a little gangster lean. He got a little sun on his face. He ain't wearing his glasses. I was like, man, he's either going to put them glasses on, y'all go get him a German Shepherd, because I'm telling you, he ain't no way he can see without his glasses. Ain't no way. Now, the other four boys, experience was a little different with them at first. Matter of fact, if we're going to be transparent, I'll just tell you this. I hated them boys in my heart there for a little while. They pulled every prank you can pull on a camp counselor. They pulled on me. They started out lightweight. They put a little shaving cream in my hand, tickled my face while I'm asleep. I'm rubbing shaving cream on myself. But they went hardcore fast. They saran wrapped the potty. You ain't got to be religious this morning. Come on, let that go. Y'all, that's funny. Come on, that's funny. Now, you get up, you TT, you don't see no saran wrap now. That's funny. And you go, if you don't think that's funny, you sure ain't going to like the fact that they took ketchup packets the next night and they bent them in half and they lifted the seat of the potty and they set it back down on them packets real soft. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I get up to go see a man about a dog 
And when I sat down and package busted and I thought I was bleeding to death on the potty. Now, I'm a huge Elvis fan, but I did not want to die on the toilet like Elvis. I said, Lord, please have mercy on me in Alify, Florida. I'm bleeding to death on the potty. So if I thought if I got a chance, I'm getting these boys back. I'm getting them back. One of the last events of the camp, one of the last events was a camper versus counselor all-star game in the sport that God engineered and designed for white guys with pot bellies. You do know God designed a sport for fat white guys. Y'all know that, don't you? Church softball. Come on, guys. If you play softball, I played it all my life. Come on, man. It's a big old ball, y'all. It's that big around. They throw it underhanded so you can be sure that you're going to hit it. Any sport where you can raise your leg and grunt before it gets there. I used to be pretty good at that sport. And I looked down there in the camper versus counselor all-star game and old thug number two is playing third base. I thought I ain't slept in three nights. I'm going to introduce this kid to somebody he's never met. <laughs> Orthodontist, here we come. I'm going to hit a BB down here at this kid. Sure enough, I get an inside pitch. I turn on it. Wow! Hit a shot. If it hit him, it hurt him. But it was four foot over his head. He never saw it. I'm trotting the first looking out there, and this ball is tracking for the prettiest little blonde-headed, blue-eyed 12-year-old girl you've ever seen in your life, and she ain't even looking. This ball is going for her head. And in my mind, I go back to Judge Stevens. I'm like, I'm going to join the Army, the Marine Corps, the Salvation Army, Merchant Marine. I mean, I, my life's over because I done killed a 12-year-old kid. It can't, out of nowhere, y'all, hand to the Lord, truth. Parallel to the ground, I see a glove. I see right down in front of that girl, that ball phew, hits that glove, dust flies. Bowick, Urkel, <laughs> Urkel caught that ball, throws it in. It says, Big Lee, you out, man. You can go sit down. This kid's talking smack to me. <laughs> but on, on that last night at camp, I'll never forget it. Man, you know what? When you're preaching these three stand, do you ever wonder, did I say this already? I didn't say it already. Okay. I just thought, I just had a, a fear went through my mind. You just told this story just a second ago, but I realized it was across town. <laughs> that last night at camp, I'm sitting back here on that back pew, me and them boys. I'll never forget. <clears throat> The spirit fell in that little old chapel again. And uh, all five of my boys, they got up and they come to the altar, walked right down that aisle, come to that altar, and they they praying. And I'm sitting back there on that pew, bitter, spiritual iceberg, mad at God. Embarrassed, too embarrassed to go to the altar. No bow it gets up and he walks back there. Now, you know, the older we get, the cooler we learn to cry. And the more we cry. I'm telling y'all, Wendy is slipping something in my food. 
Something's happening. She's, she's giving me estrogen in the cornbread or something. I went 15 years, didn't cry a drop. 15 years. I can't go 15 minutes now. Please don't show one of them deals where little kids at a little league game and all of a sudden the umpire stands up and says, Mama or Daddy come from overseas. I'm done for three days. Can't function. Hook me up to a breathing machine and an IV. I'm done. I'm crying at commercials, man. What is happening to me? But the cooler we cry. I can cry now. You don't even know I'm crying. But remember when you was a 10-year-old kid? Remember that? Got snot bubbles popping out your nose. Mouth tastes like salty aluminum. You just need to be pressure washed after you get through crying. Old Bowick comes back there to me, man. He is broke down. I'll never forget it. He said, Big Lee. He said, 12 years old, too young to be called to preach. See, that's the same chapel God called me to preach when I was 12. I, I got up off that old pew and I come by the altar. I'll be honest with y'all, I, I got scars. I have missed God. I have fallen short. I got bruises. I have paid idiot tax. But I will tell you from that moment to this, I've given everything I got at every opportunity to try to have a, to, to share the clear, accurate, pure love of Jesus Christ every chance I got. I made a lot of mistakes, and I've done, it's not just mistakes that's happened to me, I've done a lot of dumb, selfish things. But from that moment to this moment, I've spent my life trying to win people to Jesus Christ. And that happened as a 12-year-old kid at camp. But let me tell you this. Old Bowie, he pastors a church in West Florida. I'm not the, not the only spiritual impact that ever happened in his life. I'm, I'm not the hero of his testimony. But I'm one of the things that had a spiritual impact on his life as a 12-year-old kid at a camp. That camp changed his life forever and mine. And God used him to impact me and used me to impact him. Stand with me this morning, if you will. Just quietly, reverently, just, just bow your heads just a minute. Just be quiet just a minute. Just a minute. trying to be coy with you. I'm not trying to, to create some moment for you. I'm just telling you this. 
and I, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to know that I love you enough that I, I, would, I would only tell you the truth in this moment. You got Michael Bowies in your life. And you're going to have people that come into your life, and it may not seem spiritual at all, but it's a strategic moment for you and for them, and it's happened and ordained of God. You know, we, we, I don't want to keep talking about this camp we're going to do in a few weeks, but even, it's a great, unique opportunity. But even above and beyond that, I'm telling you that, that when we obey the Great Commission, it, it starts with that. The first theme, the first thought in that is go. But we, we miss it. We completely miss it. We, we think that means sometimes go get on a bus or a plane and go fly somewhere and really go hard for a week or two. Or, or, or we think that means, but double check it. Please double check the stuff that's preached and taught in Hebrew. That, that word means in your going. See, there's, there's people here that coach upward basketball that, that's got Bowicks on your team. And, and, and we're going to have a church full of 37 foster children that, that, that may be potentially God's going to, or, or some of you are school teachers and every day you just impacted people. And I know you don't get the recognition you deserve. It, it, it reminds me of a news story when there's a flood and you see that helicopter coming down over that river. And all of a sudden, a rope comes out, and and and, and a pararescue professional, he 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 repels down that rope, and he and he scoops somebody out of that current that's way too fierce for anybody to go in, and they, and they take that that person out of that river, and and we 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 make that heroic, and it should be. How many people could do that? It is heroic, but we never ever show the state patrolman that's back up on the highway been standing in the rain for eight hours and he's got the road barricaded and he's got a flashlight and he's turning people around. That dude is saving lives too. He's saving lives. It's not as romantic. It's not as dramatic. It's, it's not as heroic, but he is saving lives. Period. The end. And, and I think sometimes we, we only highlight the dramatic. What, what about... What about the Michael Bowens in your life that that, that, that that you impact that make good decisions or that, that helps them make the right decision and they turn their life around? Some of you are school teachers. Every day you're just giving. You're just giving, man. And, and I know a lot of time it seems like nobody sees it. Some of you, God's blessed you in your career where you're, you're, you're in leadership. You have genuine influence. You got Bowicks. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, I pray as we go into the Easter season. I'm excited. I, I wish I could be here. I, I know kind of what's coming from this pulpit over the next six, five or six weeks. But how about before we do anything else, Lord, before we, before we focus on, on that story or before we begin to focus on ourselves, how about we make a commitment that we're going to go into this season of our life looking for an opportunity to, to minister to Michael Bowies, for people that you've put in our life 
that if, 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 if things line up, we can help them and they can be a help to us. And Father, if we don't hear anything today, let us have the discernment to know the difference between family-oriented, charitable things and kingdom of God, spirit-led things. over to Pastor Stan just for a minute out loud why don't you just tell the Lord how much you love each and every person just a couple minutes just take it tell him 